Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Powered by Riverside. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas. I got my co-host, Chris, here, as well as our producer, Uriah. Before we get into our topics today, Uriah had a few words to say, so I'm going to let him take the floor real quick. Go ahead, Uriah. Yeah, some personal good news and some good news for the whole city. Uh, first off, I've been working with the Sixer Sense for two years with you guys. I've had a great experience, and I'm going to stay with you guys with the podcast, but I will be writing for a Philly Sports Network now which is an affiliate of the uh, Philly Metro newspaper. So I'm, I'm happy to share that with you guys. Congrats. So, congrats. We certainly wish you uh, good luck in your endeavors with them, but we always, you always have a home here with us, of course. Oh, always. You guys gave me my big break, but the other news guys, listen, if you've been living under a rock and I know that's Chris's saying the Phillies are in the world series, baby. Yes. The red and white, the history, the nostalgia. Listen, I I was too young to remember like the 80 run, 82 season, but uh, in 93, I remember them uh, beating the the uh, Atlanta Braves in the uh, for the pennant. Of course, they went on to lose to Toronto. And then we won in 08. We beat the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium and we went to the World Series that year. We won that season and then we were uh at the world series i think in 2009 after that but we lost to the yankees but listen whether we play houston or the yankees again i don't care this is a magical season i i feel 2008 vibes i don't know how you guys feel but i'm I'm on cloud nine right now look i have no dog in this fight my team is i don't i don't like baseball but if i do cheer for a team it's the tampa bay rays so Please but tell me you're going to cheer for the Phillies. Come on, man. I, I will cheer for the Phillies, especially if it's the Yankees, because, you know, screw the Yankees. Yeah, everybody hates the Yankees. Yeah, except for New Yorkers <laughs> and bandwagoners. Yeah. Um, you all know my heart is with Philly. Um, obviously, I, I grew up a Braves fan, so I, I can't claim to be a Phillies fan per se, but I do own a Bryce Harper jersey, and I will be cheering for Philly in the World Series. So. Chris, how many jerseys do you have? Because, like, you have an Al Horford jersey. I have, you have, a- I have a Bryce Harper jersey. I have an Al Horford jersey. And I have a Ben Simmons jersey. And I think that's it. Wow. Hey, hey real no. quick. Stan, Stan on Harper. Chris, you have very good taste because Bryce no, no, Harper no. is the man. I have a Jalen Hurts jersey as well. I have a Kyle Whoa. Pitt jersey. Whoa. And I have a Matt Ryan jersey. That's right. Well, Matt Ryan is from the Philly area, so that, that makes sure. all the sense in the world. I don't know if you guys saw the highlights, but uh, Phillies were down, I think, 3-2 in the eighth inning or something. The rain was messing everything up. And then Bryce Harper gets up there. JT Remuto's on second, and he just blasts one the opposite way. I can't think of any other player I'd rather have right now on this team that's hot, that has embraced the city. And in my opinion, he's worth every penny. People are complaining. Oh, he makes too much money. Look, we're in the World Series, so. Yeah. Uh, Hard to complain, but you know what? 
rolling though. It's oh, wait, about the is, Philadelphia is it, is it, 76ers. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Uh, yeah, not good vibes though, right? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So they lost to the Spurs the other day, guys. Uh, the tanking Spurs. 114 to 105. Obviously, fresh off two big losses on national TV. There's a real urgency to get something done, but uh, they lost to the Spurs. So 0-3 now. Let's start Lucas with with where the game went wrong. I, I I mean, anytime you enter a game with such minimal energy, like again, they just lost twice on national TV. I, I think it's pretty clear that everyone, including the Sixers, thought this would be an easy win, and that's part of the problem. They just didn't come out with the urgency that you need to to win an NBA game. We're early in the season. The Spurs aren't really tanking yet. It's game three. Everyone has some level of optimism for what this season could provide. So if you if you don't come out swinging, you're going to get hit. And that that's what happened with Philly here. Obviously, Joel, we'll talk about him. He had a nice bounce back game, 40 points, 13 rebounds. But this was something of a regression for James after two really strong performances, 12 points on 18 shots. Tyrese had a a good game offensively, but his defense was a big problem. He was minus 11, the only starter next to Tobias who was in the negatives there. And P.J. Tucker, as great as he is, can only do so much for you when, when, you know, two of your core four are are underperforming in one way or the other. So those are issues. The bench only scored 10 points. That has been an issue as well, Lucas. So, yeah, I mean, the Spurs are not a good team. We, we should not be losing to the Spurs. The Spurs were really in control of this game for the most part. Philly had the chance to win in the fourth quarter. It, it wasn't a blowout, but they ended up losing by nine points. They got run over down the stretch by, by San Antonio, by Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell and Jakob Pertl. And that, that's a pretty bad luck for a team that really has not shown anything yet so Lucas how do we feel let's talk at least about Joel I, I think he's like the one positive the big positive from yeah. this game. 40 points how do you feel watching him have his first good game of the season well let's give some backstory because last time we did the podcast there was some news that hadn't come out yet and the fact is that Joel Embiid suffered from plantar fasciitis now I had that last year and it is an unbearable pain. And he said he couldn't walk. I believe him. So he's working himself back into shape. Clearly. We know this, this has happened to Joel before. We know it takes about two to three weeks for him to really get back into basketball shape after he's been out of basketball shape. So it's good to see him dominate. Jakob Pertle is a good interior defender, not a great one, but a good one. So him having a good game against Jakob Pertle is good. Um, and that, you know, that's the positive. Um, and just look from what I saw on the box score, my Tyrese, I'm going to jump back here to Tyrese Maxey for a second. He didn't get going until the second half. And it's just the bench scoring was just awful. I'll talk about Montrez later, but like, you know, I just, uh, Chris, it's not a, I'm happy that Joel had a good game, but it's, we need to have Joel and Harden to have good games at the same time. Obviously, with Joel, 
I think people were maybe panicking a little too much after the first two games, plantar fasciitis or not. Like, I don't, there's never really any reason for long-term concern with Joel. I, I think he's inevitably going to return to top 10, top five form. I, I think, just think that's who he is. Players have bad games all the time. It's unfortunate to open the season with two straight bad games. And I think it's notable that they come against two very good defensive teams who Philly will have to beat if they want to make it to the finals. That's notable, worth worth keeping track of. But um, the Spurs are obviously not the Bucks or the Celtics on defense. And Joel looked much more comfortable, much more like himself. Obviously, I think there is some degree of him wanting to prove himself after those two games it's a shame like you said that Harden and the rest of the team didn't step up with him but good to see Joel looking like Joel I I think that is a relief for a lot of people and we'll see how how it holds up here in the next few games Lucas let's get a little reminiscent though Brett Brown's the lead assistant for San Antonio this season finally back on an NBA bench got a little tribute before the game how did you feel seeing Brett on the sidelines again in Philly? So, like I said, I didn't see the game in person, but I saw the re- I heard I saw the Twitter reaction, and basically, from what I saw, is that people were genuinely happy, and that's good. That's good for Brett. I have a theory here, and Chris, I think you'll buy into this chaotic theory. I don't think. If Brett Brown was still catching coaching the team, the Sixers would be any worse off. I think they would be in the exact same area that they are right now. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I, I don't think they upgraded. I, I've seen I, I forget who specifically said it recently, but I've seen it mentioned in this way multiple times. Like Doc was a lateral move. <laughs> it, it, yeah. They're they have very similar weaknesses as head coach. And we're going to talk more about talk later, but I I mean, I, I obviously was not at the game live, but I I saw from some of the reporters who were that there was like a mix of cheers and boos. Anyone who's booing Brett Brown. I'm I'm sorry. Like why? Yeah. Come on, Brett. Brett is a delightful human being. Like, yeah, Uriah, you hated the process, but I'm sure you love Brett Brown as a head coach, right? I respect certain aspects of his coaching. I like the tradition that he brought where they would ring the bell after a win. I thought he was a I thought he was a decent coach and as far as his uh, what he did when he was here, look, he he did the best that he could with the roster that he was given knowing that the team was tanking on purpose. But I have no ill will towards him. I, I think he he did a decent job with the talent that he had. Yeah, in I mean, terms uh, of like likability among like former Sixers head coaches, where do you think he ranks? Higher than Doc Rivers. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, definitely. He's yeah, yeah, like, yeah. At least he's not a jerk towards the media. No, Brett was always gracious with media. That was one of the nice. He things. was. He was. Yeah, I mean, look, Brett obviously went through the process years, which huge credit for him for doing all that he did during that era and like the Sixers were on the precipice of being a really good team under him I I think it was always probably going to end like it did with him being sort of the gateway to to Joel's prime and then he always felt like it probably wasn't going to last the whole time but you know which isn't really fair to him like he needs to get another chance to coach a team that's actually built to win because like look when the team was actually successful, he won 50-plus games. 
in all three seasons, right? They haven't accomplished anything under Doc that they didn't show themselves capable of accomplishing under Brett. So I agree. I I think Brett should get another shot somewhere. I think he's a good coach and an even better human being. And as as for Doc Rivers, I'll reserve my thoughts for later. Uh, But let's talk about the Bucks game. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yeah. Okay. So I definitely saw this game. Let me tell you. So what? Okay. So Chris, let me let me go into this. What stood out to you about this game? Um. Well, look. End of the day, close game. They only lost by two. They lost on a last second shot from Leslie Matthews in the final seconds of the game. Really, like, like if we want to blame one particular person, it's Tobias for just forgetting where he is on defense that possession, but. This was a game the Sixers very nearly almost won against a very good team. So I, I do think some of the panic was a bit like, again, we're 0-3. Yeah. But they, they almost beat the Bucks, And the Bucks and the Celtics are respectable teams. I, I think not coming out with more urgency against San Antonio is like the real mm-hmm. issue here. I think that's the real like knock against them. But yeah, from this game, obviously, it's like the worst game Joel has played in a long time. 15 points, didn't score in the second half, 6-21 from the field, four turnovers to three assists, just, just really ugly all-around stuff from him. Brooke Lopez basically had his way with Joel. That, that was an issue. Um, on the flip side of that, James Harden had another really strong game. He opened the year with two great games, which I think is a very positive sign. Uh, like I said, not not Tobias's best game, not the best Tyrese game either. He, he was kind of quiet, and the bench again scored a combined thirteen points. Only two players actually scored, and the backup centers basically are not working right now, which is an issue. So those I think are are the big standout players. And like Milwaukee, this was a really close game. Like it was a defensive battle. The points were not easy to come by either way. So it, it is notable that the Sixers defense looked a lot better after the really, really poor performance on opening night. Now the Bucks are not as good as the Celtics offensively right now. It feels like and the, yeah. Chris Middleton out, but yeah. it was notable that the defense. The defense, at least in the half court, looked better. Transition. Bit of bit of an issue when Joel is spending multiple possessions just hanging back in the backcourt because he doesn't like the call. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, you you hit on a lot of things. One thing that I will hit on is it was a good night for James Harden overall, but the three point shot wasn't falling for him. But you know, he did do a good job attacking the mid range. Cause it, we hadn't really seen that version of Harden before, especially in Houston. But like we saw a little bit of a back in OKC, but you really saw it in this game. That was great. Good defensive game from Tobias outside of that one mental lapse at the end. I will say this, Chris and Uriah, I think you mean you talked about this on the clubhouse. 
PJ Tucker might be the Sixers' back, best backup center. And if I'm giving PJ that job, I don't know if I start PJ. I think I I start like Daniel House or Thibel, and then bring PJ as as your backup center. Be careful, you might trigger Chris yeah. with that starting no, Thibel kind of Thibel should not be starting. <laughs> okay, but like Daniel House, though. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think you can work it to where you, you just stagger Joel and PJ if that's what you want to do. I, I don't think you have to not start PJ. Um, but, I, I mean, I do agree. The small ball James plus four wing groups have been pretty effective so far. It was effective in San Antonio. They went to that in the second half because Montrez wasn't working against the Spurs as well. So it's something that we're probably going to see a lot of if Doc just doesn't like his backup centers as much as I just don't understand why he doesn't like Paul Reed. Paul Reed looked good in this, in the first half against the Bucks. Like he didn't score anything, but he played solid defense. He was a plus one. Yeah. I don't get it. Like Paul Reed should be getting minutes. We're, I think we're preaching to the choir there, but. I, the small ball does work, and there are benefits yeah. to just putting a bunch of shooting around James and letting him cook. So I, I'm not against it, and I think we'll see more of it. Yeah, no, no, I, I don't disagree. Um, so the next question I got for you, Chris, here is, should have should Harden have passed Maxi the ball on that last play, or was he right to take the final shot? Uh you know, I, I think it's really easy to nitpick final possessions once you go through them with a fine-tooth comb 25 times and watch the replay, but James was the best player all night. He was hitting big shots all night. I I think you want James taking that shot in general. Like, like that was the right general dis, you know, move for the offense. Did James get off mm-hmm. the best shot possible? No, but like he'd been hitting contested mid-range jumpers all night. James... James going left with an advantage is really not the worst outcome. So he missed it. It's a bummer. Do I, I think like, like it's, there's no guarantee that Maxi makes a shot if he gets the pass either. And I, I think yeah, Maxi was over three from downtown that night. So yeah. yeah, James is better at creating his own shot off the dribble than Tyrese is right now. So I, I'm not mad at James for keeping it. I think he earned the right in that game specifically to take the last shot. And you, you live with the results. I, I'm, I wasn't mad at it. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I'd like to see James Harden aggressive. And if he feels like he wants to take the last shot, then – and it wasn't – was it a clean look? No. But was it was it a makeable look? Look, absolutely. Look, the, the right quote-unquote basketball play was to probably hit Maxi, Probably. But Maxi hadn't hit a three all night. And like you said, he was relatively quiet with 15 points. So – I, I, I wasn't the, I was okay with it. I don't know if it was the right right move, but it was a, it was a solid choice given the circumstances. So I think it should have been passed to Maxi. Harden had two guys on him. Uh, Yeah. Maxi wasn't on fire this game. Like he was in the preseason, but you give him that opportunity to hit the open shot or drive the lane, hit a floater or get fouled. So I, I, I think that he should have given it to Maxi. I mean, I think this is part of, like, a larger conversation that some people are having about, like, Tyrese not being involved enough in the offense. And there are stretches where that's true, where I think they need to maybe seek out Tyrese a little bit more. But, like, generally speaking, guys, 
he's the number three option on this team with Joel and James. Like he's averaging twenty points per game. He's averaging season. twenty a game. I, I saw a stat earlier where he's quite literally touching the ball more than Joel so far this season. Like I don't really think there needs to be any more emphasis on getting Tyrese involved. He's the number three guy. He attacks off of Joel and James. He's not the guy who should really be initiating the offense when those two are on the floor. Like, I don't think that's Tyrese. This strong suit right now. So as much as we all love Tyrese and we want to see him break out when you have two all world offensive talents who like admittedly, James and Joel hog up a lot of possessions. That's their style. And we can talk about whether or not that style is, always super conducive to winning like there's a genuine argument there but like the idea that Tyrese is just not needs to be like sought out more as a number two kind of option I just don't think that's true like I think this is Joel and James's team and Tyrese is going to benefit a lot from that attacking open space getting open threes but like I don't think you want Tyrese running the offense when James and Joel are out there. I just don't think that's the best use of him. So that has I mean, nothing to do with the final play, but I, I just think in general, there's been a lot of talk about Maxi not getting the ball enough. And I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that. Well, okay. Let's, let's think about it like this. Joel's leading score on the team with 27 points. Harden is averaging about 26. Maxi's averaging 20. And I'm going to guess Harris is the next leading score. And you know how much he's averaging right now? I'll tell you, he's averaging about 14 points per game. Which, by the way, would be the lowest in his career since... Let's see here. Lowest in his career since his fourth season in Orlando. So... Which is fine. Like, those numbers sound good to me. (laughs) Like, no... Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, like, Maxie's still averaging 20 points per game when we're saying that he should be getting more points. I think before the season, we were talking about this Maxie breakout, and a lot of people didn't think James is going to look this good. But James looks this good. He had 35 in Boston and 31 in Milwaukee. If James is putting up those kinds of numbers, and Joel is going to get his touches. Like, Maxi just isn't going to score 25 a night. It's not a problem. It's not the Sixers holding Maxi mm-hmm. back. He, he's just more of a play finisher than a play starter right now. And that's fine because they have Joel and James to do those things. So, And, I, I mean, look, the, the one game that James struggled in on with 12 points, he had 12 assists, Maxi had 25. Yeah. So okay. that's – whenever Harden struggles, Maxi we know can pick up the slack. Exactly. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the state of this team overall after three games, Lucas. Obviously, a lot of people entered this season expecting a championship. And after three games, I don't think anyone should really be like rewriting their expectations. But they are 0-3, and that's a mild concern. There aren't too many 0-3 teams in the NBA right now, and Philly's one of them. So, Joel obviously refused to talk to reporters after the Bucks game. That was the game he scored 15 on 21 shots and didn't score in the second half. Worst he's looked in a long time. I think we would all agree. Mm-hmm. That's when we heard from Doc about the plantar fasciitis and his off-season conditioning struggles. Are you concerned at all, Lucas, about Joel not talking to reporters. What is your opinion on that? I mean, look, the guy had a 40-point game, and they still lost to the Spurs, who we all suspect will be tanking for Victor Wembanyama soon enough, right? So 
in that regard, I get he's probably pissed three in a row. Like that doesn't happen very often when he's playing with this team, right? So I don't blame him for not wanting to talk to the reporters because he probably has nothing positive to say about his teammates and he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. So yeah. I, I don't I don't blame it. I, I'm okay with it. It's fine. I get it. He's uh, upset. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree. I, I think generally you just gotta talk to reporters like they're you know, if you put on a crappy show like you did in Milwaukee, you gotta sit there and, and take the heat. But so like like you should talk to the reporters. They're just trying to do their job and you know it it's one but like is is it better is it is it better to be not talk to the reporters at all or like be in a bad mood and possibly be rude to the report reporters well i I mean that's a different issue entirely if you can't like keep your emotions maybe 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 you can't who knows which sure i get it we we obviously don't know specifically what went through Gerald's head I'm, i'm not like losing sleep over it it's not egregious but it it's kind of a bad look when you like take a dump on the floor and then don't show up to the post-game press conference. It's a bad look. It's bad optics. But let's talk about PJ now, Lucas. I think we all kind of held him up on this totem as like the big leadership guy who's going to change the locker room, change the energy around the team, add toughness, etc. And the report is that he was quite vocal with his displeasure in the locker room after the Spurs game, yelling at teammates. I I know I don't have a problem with that. Like the Sixers clearly need to get chewed out. They're just not putting in the effort right now. I believe I saw that they are currently 24th in both offensive and defensive efficiency right now. Like that roster should not be that bad on offense or defense. Like, Like they're just not playing up to their potential at all. They're showing again, no urgency after two losses on national TV, they just sleepwalk through a game at home against the Spurs. That should have been an easy win, but you don't get easy wins by not trying hard. So I, I, I think PJ is totally justified in being upset with his team. I think it's good that he is comfortable enough to be vocal and to call guys out. What are your thoughts on that? Look, I think he's exactly what the Sixers needed, and I wouldn't be surprised next game that they come out mean and just demolish whoever they play. Who are they playing next game? Pacers. They, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're going to chew that team because I don't think Miles Turner is back either. Yeah. They're going to tear that team apart. Look, I I think that Joel's going to – everybody's going to come out there mean, and I'm I'm all for this. This is the type of leadership that you need. You need a P.J. Tucker, Udonis Haslam, that type of guy in your locker room that can just be like – be that guy like, uh, uh, you know, leader of men. And I think Tucker getting angry and doing that. If I was on that team, I'd be angry for the next game. I'd be ready for it. So I get it. Yeah, I agree. And look, I I mean, I think it would be more beneficial and effective if Joel and James were the guys doing that. Like, I I think there's a real argument that Joel has just not been the leader that the Sixers need at all in his career. He's a quiet guy, and I understand that. Not everyone is going to be Draymond Green or Chris Paul or LeBron or whoever, but... Look, your best player isn't always your best leader, and that's okay. That's fine. You can still win a, you can still win a championship like that. Look, Draymond Green is the leader of, of the Warriors, but, like, Steph Curry's their best player. So. I agree, but, like, I don't think Joel is I, I think Steph's personality in the locker room is probably more forceful than Joel's at times. And we obviously aren't there to like get the 
nitty gritty of what's going on in there. But Joel is maybe too quiet sometimes and maybe not engaged with his teammates enough. And like on the court, he sulks around a lot sometimes, and that's an issue. And body language well, is a real, real factor in some of these performances. But okay, okay, but let let's think to give Joel some some credit here. Let's think about last year. The whole entire Ben Simmons thing was going on. No PJ Tucker, no James Harden. Yet Joel was able to lead that team single handedly. There was no other vet. Like Tobias Harris is a nice guy, but like the yeah. But that's better than nothing. And secondly, like the other thing is, is just like, and they probably would have gone further if he was healthy. I, I will. Sure, but like the that. whole problem with Philly last season was the same problem they have now. There's no urgency, no fight. They folded under pressure. There's an argument to be made that Joel needs to be a better leader. I'm not sitting here to like, I'm not trying to bash Joel. I'm not saying he's a bad player or a bad leader, but he's maybe not enough of a leader sometimes. No, you know, it's not meant for everybody. Like, I don't ever think of Shaq as a leader, but yet, you know, he was able to get it done. Like, if we're comparing, like, similar personalities there. I don't so, think he and Shaq are similar at all. Shaq wasn't a quiet guy. I agree with Lucas in that your best player doesn't always have to be that that rah-rah in your face vocal leader like Draymond, like you said. But my theory, Chris and Lucas, related to Joel Embiid and his leadership or style lack thereof, even at the age of, I think, what is he, 28, 27, 28? Yeah. Remember, Embiid in basketball years, he's a little bit further behind than everyone else because he didn't yeah. pick up a basketball until he was like 15, 16. So he didn't go through all those uh, AAU tournaments from the age of 10 and get exposure to the different personalities in the locker room, even with other kids and, and different coaches. So Embiid is Embiid, and he can be fiery. He can be sarcastic, and, and he can be a leader on the court by, by showing his leadership with his play. But he's not, he's not that Jimmy Butler type guy or Draymond Green. Do we need him to be that? I don't necessarily think so. But P.J. Tucker, as we see, he's the guy that stepped up, which is a little, I think Chris's point was like a little awkward for this new guy to come in and do that. But that's exactly why they well, brought yeah. him. Here's the thing, though. Like, yeah, that. that's true. For Dream toughness Green, and leadership. Yeah. Draymond Green is like a perennial all star and one of the best defenders of all time. Like, he may not be the best player in Golden State, but he's still a superstar level guy at his peak who is leading a team to a championship. Like, you need those guys on your team to show more initiative as a leader sometimes. And I, I just don't know if Joel has done it. Like, like, maybe he's not cut out for it, and that's fine, but that can be a, like an issue just because he's not cut out for it doesn't mean that the fact that he's not cut out for it is okay you know so I I, I don't want to sound like I'm trying to bash Joel again but I, I do think there are times where on the court especially he needs to perk up his shoulders a little bit more and just power through it when he's not having a good game like, I can agree especially with that. when he's struggling yeah, that's fair that's I fair. agree with that Joel tends to power yep. a lot and that that's that, fair is not helping your team win games. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about Doc Rivers now, Lucas. What does he need to do to get this team back on track? Uh, I want to say something, but I'll save it for the next segment. Um, in the meantime, I will say this: um, ball movement on offense, ball movement needs to be better. It's just there's there's like no action besides ISO for James or Joel. Maybe a couple screens. 
And Doc Rivers, hire a big man on your staffs to teach these guys, these big men, how to screen. Because besides Montrez, nobody knows how to screen on that team. And it drives me absolutely like Joel. I love Joel. But guess what? He, his screen, like his ability to set a good screen, not there. Like, and going back to your eyes point, yes, I know he's young in basketball. But, like, we all learn how to set a pick in middle school. Like, he should. He's he started when he was fifteen. Nobody showed. He's not even doing like he's not. He's he's getting low. He's bending over. That's not how you set a screen. You have to stay stay straight up, and get wide. Yeah, Lucas called that out during the clubhouse. We were watching the Sixers game together against Milwaukee, and as soon as Joel did this little half ass, I'll delete that out. But he, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't set a good pick. And Lucas jumped right on that. And it's true. It's like the fundamentals. Certain things Joel is not still not applying in his game. And that goes back yeah. to the coaching staff at this point. Like they need to teach him how to do that properly. And the other, like I said, ball movement, you know how much ball movement we used to have like off ball movement with JJ Redick. Guess what? Maxi can do that. Uh, you know, dribble handoffs. James can do dribble handoffs going around screens. Maxi can is a good enough shooter to do it. James is a good enough shooter to do it. We need more of that. We're not getting anything of that. Doc needs to make the offense a little bit more, less ISO. Like, it's just too much ISO right now. Too stagnant. It's not good. I agree. I I mean, I feel like a lot of guys right now, they just don't really know what to do when Joella James are holding the ball, and that's an issue. Um, I, I will say I've seen a lot of people being like, oh, this is just like in Houston where the Rockets crumbled because James... The Rockets were one of the greatest offensive teams of all time, and the fact that they ran so much ISO through James and Chris Paul is what made them great. Like, that's just not a real argument that can be, like, stand up under any level of scrutiny. Like, the Houston Rockets were an elite, borderline unstoppable offensive team who happened to run up against maybe the greatest team we've ever seen, and it was unfortunate timing. But, like, they would have a championship if not for the Warriors. So you think they could have been the LeBron James led team? Absolutely. I like those Rockets teams were better than the Cleveland LeBron teams. So yeah, I, I don't think that particular argument holds much weight with me, but this version of James is not that version of James. When Jarrell especially is struggling like he has the first two games, you need to find other ways to get people involved. I think Joel specifically needs to work harder to I don't know, it, like counterintuitive. He needs to like work harder to make his life easier. Like mm-hmm. get the post so that yeah. you don't have to face a double team at the elbow, eighteen feet from the rim. You know. And if you're if you're not going to get that deep, then just settle for a jump shot versus driving in. Sure, and, and yeah. like there's obviously a level of chemistry between Joel and James that isn't there yet that they're still working towards, and I think it will get better as the season goes on. Belton is a guy who stands out. He just doesn't look like he knows what he's doing on offense right now. I, I have to assume that he's going to get more comfortable as the season goes on. Like These guys will figure things out. Um, yeah. As much as I dislike Doc, he has never really been one to coach bad offensive teams, and the Sixers personnel-wise just have too much to be a bad offensive team long-term. I There's just no way they don't figure it out. Um but yeah, more movement off the ball. Guys need to learn where to stand when Joel ISOs. They need to learn what to do when James ISOs. James and Joel need to run more pick and rolls. Joel needs to set better screens. All that stuff is true. Um, 
So yeah, like like I, I think it will come in time. I think Doc needs to hammer home fundamentals in practice. He needs to get these guys running more sets, etc. Like like all that stuff. I I agree with. But yeah, it's three games. I, I just want to say, like in general, it's three games. I'm not really particularly panicking over it. I'm not as worried as some people seem to be. Like it's not great, but the first three games of the NBA season, like honestly don't matter that much. Teams are so different in May than they are in October every year. The team we see now is not the team we're going to see in four or five months. So I, I'm really just not that pressed about it. Now, if they go 04, 05, 06, then we can have a different conversation later on. But assuming they write the ship here pretty soon, which they will, this is a playoff team. They're not going to miss the playoffs. Like, it's really just not that big of a deal. I just want to add that 0-3 in the NBA, especially at the beginning of the season, is not the same as 0-3 in the NFL. So people yeah. just need to calm down a little bit. Yeah, They're still trying to figure out how to play with one another. And I think the expectations are so high that it might cause some people to panic. But it's look, every team in the NBA this season, except maybe one, is going to go on a three-game losing streak. Just unfortunately, the Sixers are on it to start the season. Yeah. Like, I think it's important to hammer home that Joel and James just don't have the chemistry down, and I, I think that will come in time. They face the two best defenses in the East, maybe in the NBA, to start the season. Like, that's it's a bit of a tough draw. And they almost beat Milwaukee. They were very close to beating the Bucks and not being 0-3. So the Spurs mm-hmm. game was especially egregious, and the effort was just not there, and they deserve a lot of criticism for that. But losing to Boston and Milwaukee to open the year is not really that egregious like like it's understandable it's not ideal and they have to beat those teams eventually but we're so early in the season those teams are more connected especially on defense than philly is right now we got to give the sixers time to gel and to get connected and if they can't and they look this way in february april march like those months then we can we can have that conversation then but right now I think they'll be fine. I'm, I'm really not worried about it. I think the fact that James has looked as good as he has and that Joel bounced back like he did against the Spurs, those are two very big positive indicators. So I'm, I'm really not that worried right now. And we are going to have that conversation right now, okay? <laughs> Look, let's just say the Sixers aren't where we expect them to be midseason. Daryl Morey, who was not in charge of hiring Doc Rivers, he came on afterwards, decides Doc's not the right guy for the job. And he fires Doc's midseason and hires, let's just say, Sam Cassell. How likely would it be for the Sixers to be able to win a championship under those circumstances? I I think it would be – I really don't think the odds would change that much. And, like, I want to note that Sam Cassell is not the first assistant on the bench right now, so I don't know if he'd really be the guy they hire in that situation. But I think the Doc Rivers conversation goes back two years at this point, so I don't really think that's related to the are the Sixers screwed conversation necessarily. But, well, it is and it isn't. Like, like I, I don't think the Doc conversation is quite the one we were just about to have. But, yeah, I... I don't think it would change that much. I don't think Philly's odds are particularly great right now. Like when we say they have a decent chance of winning the championship, it's like 10 to 15% at best. It's not like they're 50, 50 to win it right now. And I don't think they would become that if they hire Sam Cassell. 
as much as I like Sam Cassell and I think he would be a good NBA coach somewhere, maybe even in Philly, I, I don't think Philly's problems are solely rooted in Doc Rivers right now. And, you know, it, hiring a new coach midseason does bring about its own challenges. And if we're talking about the team not being connected, not building chemistry, not being where they need to be as far as communication and running sets and, and being really concrete and all those things, I don't know if changing coaches really helps because that's another layer of, of continuity that they then have to work to establish again. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it would change much if they hired Sam Cassell. I, I'm not a Doc Rivers guy. I would not be opposed to firing Doc Rivers. But should it happen midseason, especially this early on right now, to hire Sam Cassell, I'm, I'm not so sure of that either. Look, um, Sam Cassell has certainly gotten his fair sh- – he's, he's paid his dues. He needs to become a head coach. Certainly wouldn't mind it for the Sixers. Um he has been one of Doc's main assistants for many years. Uh, I think we can go back to the early Clipper days because I know he started out in, with Randy Whitman in uh, Washington, and then he jumped over to the Clippers when Doc went to the Clippers. So that being said, Sam Cassell knows Doc. Like I don't think the system needs to change all that much. Uh, clearly, the offense needs to be more so- sophisticated a, a little bit, but like everything else – like the terminology, it wouldn't be like bringing in Mike D'Antoni, which I know you would probably love, Chris. Um, well, here's the thing. If it's like a locker room issue where guys aren't motivated enough, Sam Cassell is in the locker room right now. It's not like he can't talk to But like uh, being so. an assistant and being a head coach, are, that, those are two completely different things. Can I give you – well, Let me give you a perspective real quick, Chris. And I know football – I know basketball and, and baseball are completely different sports – considering the coach is a little bit more involved every play in basketball compared to baseball. So the, the Philadelphia Phillies were in the world series. They fired Joe Girardi who has championship rings or at least one with the Yankees. He came here. He did the best he could. Couldn't get through to the players when they fired him, Chris, this is like back in June, I think, or July, they went on like a 13 game winning streak. And that, change mid-season really catapulted this team brought them together and now they are executing they're playing for each other there's a great locker room vibe going on not to say that that could happen to the Sixers but I mean it happened with LeBron James and Ty Ty Lue, Ty Lue. Yeah, yeah exactly it and, and it also happened also happened with the Hawks halfway through the season when they uh hot fired uh what's his name uh former Lloyd Pierce yeah Lloyd, Lloyd Pierce, Pierce. For and Nate McMillan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's it's happened in the NBA, Chris. It's not like it's impossible. I'm I'm, I'm well aware. I'm I'm just saying I I don't think it guarantees much if if you move on to Sam Cassell. I'm not saying it can't happen, but like Cassell is a player development guy who has been who's really like you know earned his spurs in the NBA under Doc Rivers. So I don't know if he's the right fit for this roster at this stage in that sense and like again the Sixers right now are operating with like 10% odds to win the championship I I don't think adding Sam Cassell and subtracting back rivers moves them significantly in the right direction it could but like they're the third favorites in the east right now and I, I just don't know if 
I don't know if that's all because of Doc, you know, and mm-hmm. as much as I have issues with Doc and I, I'm not opposed on the surface to firing him. You know, I, I just don't think you get anything guaranteed by moving on right now, especially for Camp Sam Cassell, who we've never seen coach in the NBA. We just don't know what he really has the offer to offer in that role yet. Fair. I, I suppose that's fair. All right. Well, Chris, I think on that note, we can go ahead and wrap up this podcast. All right. Um, to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in to the Six or Sense podcast. Please like, subscribe, and follow along if you can. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Audible. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. It would really help us out. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Six or Sense, or read our work and listen on the web at thesixersense.com. So until next time, everyone, go Phillies, go Eagles, and most importantly, go Sixers. We'll talk to you soon. Powered by Riverside. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.